Welcome everybody. We are here again, same time, same place. It is the DJ live stream brought to you by Win Daily. I am with Draftmaster Flex. As you all know, sometimes we are with Nick Brettwish at Sticks Picks, and sometimes we are not. It is just the two of us, just like last week. And uh, Joel, how are you? I think I think we did really well at the Zurich, uh, both from a betting and a DFS standpoint. But how how did you do? Let, let us know. So I, I didn't have a very profitable week, um, but you know, from a DFS standpoint, I just didn't. I just like. I didn't hit my advice from the show. I didn't get too many sixes of sixes through. Not many. Well, well nobody did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but you guys know me. I'm always swinging for the fences. I'm trying to hit a home run in the GPP. And if you don't get six of the six, even if only 1% do, it's going to be hard to be pretty profitable. However, outside of that, I did really well. Like a lot of my, I had five of sixes and I had a lot of the top teams. I just, you know, without the six of six, you can't win. So on to the next. Yeah, I mean, you know, this tournament was weird because the pricing was weird. So you you definitely had plenty of five or sixes. Even, uh, I mean, there were a couple four or sixes if you really landed the right team to, to actually get in the money. But it was really hard at four of six. But, you know, I think DraftKings kind of made, and we, we talked about it last week. I think they literally made a mistake with the pricing last week. I mean, I genuinely think they just ran out of time. And for whatever reason, whatever algorithm or whatever, like, you know, whatever they do on the back end from a tech standpoint, it, it wasn't working out. So they just kind of went and posted the prices because I was sort of forced to to choose a 6K team that I was just going to have to kind of go all in with, with a lot of my single entry teams. It happened to be Sloan and Baddeley, which didn't work out. It worked out on Thursday, but on Friday they were bad enough to miss the cut. So, um, you know, I wish I had Warinsky line. You know, we talked about them a little bit last week, but it was a tough tournament. I still... Managed to cash, but frankly, I did a lot better in the betting market. Um, you know, I put a play on Twitter, the Keegan Bradley Brandon Steele play against uh, Shank and Duncan. That worked out, um, and I all my a lot of my head to heads worked out. But it was definitely a tough DFS week. I'm super excited. Like as much as I like the Zerk, I'm super excited to be back in kind of like a regular stroke play event. So, Joel, go ahead. I will add, I did have a parlay on Thursday that hit ten out of eleven, and I was oh. Ooh. And you know what the worst part about it was. It was the one I lost. So, like, every bet in it was, like, I usually take the favorites. So it was a lot of minus 150s, 160s. The one loss was minus 450. Nothing oh. else was even that. I was like, why was I even in the bet? I should oh, even man. I that. And that's how I lost this huge parlay. So that was that was tough. That's that's like when you're doing like the NBA or the NFL one and, and you throw it in, they're like a they're like a 13, 14 point favorite, and you're like, whatever, it's a few extra bucks, and that's the one that ends up losing for you. That's not cool. It was that. Do you remember what the team was? Um, it was the it now I have to look, <laughs> <laughs> but it was so, like the obvious play. It was like the, it was like one of the best teams versus like a no name. He was like, I right, find that's an obvious hit, and of course, they blow it. Um, so while you're looking for that, um, I'll just set the stage. I, I think at this point, you know, when we get on Tuesday night, I feel like most of the people have a pretty good idea of, of the course setup and you know what type of golfer to look for, and that's because we have shows. Um, on Monday, I'm not talking about Win Daily per se, but you know, I, I have that show on the first cut on Monday. There's plenty of, you know, Pat Mayo is out there. There's like five, six other podcasts that are out there kind of setting the stage for people. But for those of you that have not listened to a podcast yet, oh, by the way, um, Andy Lack, I was on his show last night, his podcast, um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the name off the top of my head. I apologize. But everybody who's listening, go ahead and add Andy Lack. I think it's literally at Andy Lack, and I'll verify that later. But uh, I was on his podcast. He's a super insightful guy. Um, he's been doing podcasts. I, I don't think it's been for a super long period of time, but uh, the ones I've listened to are really, really good, not just the one I was on yesterday. But uh, definitely check him out. He's really good. A lot of insight on Twitter about, you know, course conditions and players and stuff like I that. I follow him on Twitter. He does. He, does, he made some really good posts. He has some good insights in his tweets. Oh, awesome. I, I didn't even know that. So that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So um, check out his podcast. You, you, obviously, you can find it just by finding him on Twitter. Um, good dude. But as far as the course setup, j- just a couple quick things. Uh, this is going to be a harder track than – most of the courses we see, we're not going to see scores in the, you know, the winning score is not going to be 15 under. It's not going to be 13 under. It's probably going to be like 10 under 11 under, you know, maybe eight under if the, if the wind really picks up here. But what you need to know, I think is that this is probably going to be a second shot golf course, but you are going to want to have the entire game. You're going to want to have all the weaponry, if you will. So off the tee, you know, distance isn't going to be a huge factor. There's a lot of forced layups, a lot of dog legs where you're just going to have to kind of club down, if you will. And then, you know, the approach shot's going to be important. I think the greens are going to be firm and fast. And, and because you have wind as well, 
And because the greens are also small, I think around the green game is going to be important. So what, you know, you can't pick a golfer that has it all because if you could, we'd all be picking the same golfer, obviously. But what you do want to look for, in my opinion, is a relatively accurate ball striker, particularly on approach and off the tee, obviously. And then I think you want to kick up around the green game if you're doing modeling. I do think you want to kick it up a little bit more than you normally do when you're doing your models. Putting, you know, that's up to you how much you want to weight putting. I typically weight putting just a little bit because I want to see it, but I don't really, um, I'm always, I'm a big fan of just, the guys that are ball striking it, you know, hopefully if they're bad with the putter, like your, your Keegan Bradley's of the world or Grio, um, I'm just hoping there's putter regression that week. So I, a lot of times I just bank on that and I don't look at the putting quite as much. But Joel, anything to add to that as far as like what you're looking for from a player standpoint with this course? Yeah, I saw that. I think it was three of the last four champions or four of the last five, I'm not sure, um, actually lost strokes off the tee. So Obviously, that doesn't mean tar- target bad drivers. That is obviously not the point. But the point is, it doesn't mean you have to be too heavy on, on driving. Uh, obviously, guys who aren't great drivers can win here. So um, it's I'm, I'm totally, for me, totally locked in on approach. It looks like, uh, from what I'm seeing, proximity, you know, 175 to 200 in that range. Guys who are, who are good with their long irons should have a lot of success here. And by the way, I totally butchered um, Andy Lack's uh, Twitter handle. So it is... ADP Lack Sports. So ADP LACK Sports. And his podcast is Pick the Pup. You can find that Spotify, Apple, you know, wherever. So check that out. Um, so Joel, before we dive in, hold on, let yeah, me yeah. tell you the bet. So the, the minus 450 that ended up losing my giant oh, parlay yeah. was I had Cantley and Shoffley, and they lost to Hagee and Kim. That's what oh, was no. Tough break. Tough break. I mean, is Cantley just going to let us down like from here on out? <laughs> It's like, is that just going to be the thing? He's in a phase now where it's like you can't touch him until he proves you otherwise. Like, yeah, stay away, stay away. Yeah, like how we treated Spieth for like three years. Well, well yeah, I he- mean, wow, I actually can't believe you lost that because you know Brandon Hagee, he's 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 been pretty good, but he's also very inconsistent, which you can't say about Xander and Patrick Cantlay. They're not inconsistent players. I mean, obviously Cantlay's in, but his game all around, he has all of the tools in the bag, if you will. And Michael Kim can blow up at any given moment. I actually can't. I mean, they made the cut, but I can't believe you lost that. That is, ouch. I Wow. Okay. Well, you've won so much in the last <laughs> six months that I guess we shouldn't be feeling sorry for you. But um, listen, uh, other guys we shouldn't be feeling sorry for. These guys in the elite range, the 10K and above range. We have Paul Casey, who's won back-to-back here. Now, just so everybody knows, there was no winner in 2020 because there was no Valspar Championship in 2020. So we have Paul Casey at 10,000. As we go up in this, quote, elite range, we have Patrick Reed, Victor Hovland, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas. I'll tell you, when I first looked at this pricing, Joel, my thought was skip this range and start in the 9K. And it's only because I I liked the 9K range so much and I kind of like the 8K and 7K range a little bit too. So I thought... Let's go more balanced here and, and see what happens. Now, I've, I've I've mentioned at the front end of the show, I've listened to you know a, a few different podcasts, like I always do. I'm just kind of doing my homework, seeing who's going to be chalky, who, who keeps getting mentioned. And I think a lot of people are doing what I instinctively thought to do. Because if they do that, if they start in the 9K range, they can pick up a couple 9K guys, maybe a couple 8K guys, and then that you dip down to seven or high six if that's what you feel like doing. With that in mind, I, I feel like I need to revisit this range a little bit. And, you know, for me, before I ask your opinion, I keep going back and forth on DJ and Justin Thomas. Um, at first, I was team D- Dustin Johnson. Now I feel like I'm kind of the pendulum swinging a little bit towards Justin Thomas. I like the idea of him clubbing down and just crushing it with the irons, which he always does. Even when he's playing poorly, it's usually because of the putter or because of the driver. It's never because of that second shot, which is going to be so paramount here. So that's sort of why I'm kind of leaning back towards JT, in spite of the fact that he's the most expensive guy. The only other guy I'm considering in this range is Patrick Reed. And it's not because the stats jump off the page. They kind of never do with Patrick Reed. It's because in these tougher courses, he just seems to find a way to figure it out. Like around the green game, he's he's not intimidated really by anything. So I, I think when other players might be having issues, whether it's around the green or, you know, proximity, you know, 175 to 200 or whatever it is, I feel like he's just going to manage that a little bit better. By the way, I brought up that proximity because 175 to 200 and 200 plus is going to be 
a proximity, a range that's going to be more paramount in this tournament relative to other tournaments. Because you do have those forced layups, not forced layups, because you're clubbing down and because of the dog legs and things of that nature, you are going to need to hit some long irons to get to get to the um, to the green. So I know in my modeling, I kind of segregated that proximity range out in kind of overlapping with approach because I wanted to see who was who was killing it from those ranges as well. But anyway, with all of that background, who are you liking in this elite range? Well, you know, as always, the elite range is the elite range for a reason, right? So, you know, we're not going to hate the elite range. There's plenty to like. You know, I'm going to start off with Thomas. Thomas, you know, based on the model that I ran, came out the number one ranked player. The the concern with that is he's never really done great here. I mean, his best historic finish here is tied for 10th, and that was in 2015. He missed the cut his last time on 2017. But this is not a course that I feel like we need to overweight course history on. So he's still – you know, one of the top two golfers in the field. Uh, and the, if we're going to wait that proximity, he's going to be one of the best guys that's going to grade out on hitting those long irons and things like that. So if I had to pick the guy to win the tournament, I would probably right now go with, with JT. Um, DJ, I'm a little bit torn on this week because um, my gut instinct wanted to say, let's stay away until we see a little bit more from him. But he did end up with uh, a tie for 13th at the Heritage, which means he, he closed pretty strong. He may have found something. He may be coming back. And uh, this could be a course that will probably fit in, play well to his to his strength. So, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with playing DJ at all. I think the, the main issue that we're going to come across this week is, you know, roster construction. You're not going to just play Thomas Johnson and every top play guy. So he's got to pick and choose your battles from that front. Um and then, you know, I'm not going to be playing too much Reed this week. I do like it. When he's done, he's had a lot of success here. So if you're looking at course history, he has that. He was, you know, top 10 at the Masters. Um, you know, the the statistics of like, you know, 175 and 200 yards, he's not going to grade out well. So he's not going to look too good on models. But I certainly could see him doing well this week. And then it's hard to fade the guy who's won this tournament back-to-back year. So, I mean, Paul Casey, he, I wouldn't say he's in poor form. I mean, he missed the cut at the Heritage. But before that, he's been on fire, and obviously he likes something about this course. So, um, you know, Casey's definitely going to be in play. Yeah, Casey's an interesting one because, you know, you could fall on two sides of the aisle with Paul Casey. I mean, a lot of people are like, well, he won it the last two times. There's no way he's going to win it this time. Not that he needs to win it to pay off his price. but And then there's the other, the, the more obvious logical conclusion, which is he's clearly very comfortable at this course. And if anybody is going to come in here and strike the ball well in terms of being a good course fit, I mean, there's really good evidence that Paul Casey is that guy. So, you know, I wonder though, because the last three tournaments missed the cut at the RBC. He was 26 at the masters, which isn't bad, but it's not great. And then before that, I guess was match play. And he was, you know, he was okay, but I'm not going to read too much into match play. So I don't know if he's the guy that, missed the cut at the RBC and was kind of middle of the pack, the masters, or if he's the guy that was fifth at the players 10th at the API and was winning tournaments over in Europe. So it's hard for me at this price. I think I might be out on Casey. I mean, looking at his ownership percentage, he is pretty popular and that's not listen. Ownership percentage isn't the end all be all for me, especially since I'm a single entry and three max guy more than anything, but I just don't think I can get like, forget about his price. If Paul Casey is the fifth rated guy in a tournament, I'm just going to probably shy away from it and find a reason to go down into that 9K range, which I love so much. I think that's my main argument against Casey. I think that that logic makes sense. And what the way I'll the, the one comment I want to make on, on that, the comment you made earlier about, you know, do you think he'll win three times in a row and he doesn't necessarily have to win to, to pay off, um, is the way I think about it is, he doesn't have to win. You need to get the winner if it's a lower end guy. And then you need to get one of the guys in this top range that does the best. So mm-hmm. if JT gets third and Casey gets sixth, then he probably won't pay off because you need to have JT. But if he does better than all the other guys in this range and you have the winner, then he could be in your lineup and not win the tournament. So that's why I would think if you think he's going to outplay the other guys in this range, he doesn't have to win it. But as long as he does well and he's in that range, that will be the guy that you'll need in your yeah, and, and I, you could make the same argument for because we're we're talking about ranges from 10k and above, but that's sort of like an artificial mile marker in the sense that like if if you think, for example, that there's eight or nine guys that are elite, like let, let's say it stops at Louis Ustazen, um, because Terrell Hatton he's he's withdrawn obviously. So oh, for those of you that don't know, uh, 
Terrell Hatton's a withdrawal. But, uh, you know, you, if you make the argument to yourself that, like, the top eight guys are the top eight guys, regardless of price, and that you can only settle on one of those eight guys, then in theory, the, the guy you choose, to your point, has to outplay the other seven. I, I think that's sort of how – because I, I, I'd hate to – handcuff myself to the range even though that's how we always do it but i love what you said because i think you know when i hear when i listen to a lot of other podcasts they'll say something like well if you're gonna pick dustin johnson you know he has to win to pay off his price well that's not really true what what has to happen is he has to do well relative to to that range like you said but you also have to have the winner because if your winner is from the 8k range then nobody above that 8k guy is going to be the winner that doesn't mean it was a bad pick for your squad it, it just means you know he that person has to pay off relative to the people around him and you know you have the you have the guy that won so that helps too so th- that's kind of like um I hear that a lot. And so I, I really liked your clarification. It's not that the expensive guy has to win. It's that the, the expensive guy has to do really well, particularly relative to the guys around him. And if he doesn't win, you better hope you have the winner in your lineup, which is very plausible because it's not like you're picking an elite guy and then you're going down to the 6K range. Like they're in every tournament, whether it's the 10K range, 11K, 9K, like mostly that group, that tier is mostly viable to win the tournament. And, and especially in this one where it's a little softer on the talent uh, in terms of talent. So yeah, I love that point. So, so Joel, with that, we go to the nine K range, which I told you, this is the range I'm, I'm kind of in love with. It starts with Scotty Scheffler. I know you're a Scotty Scheffler guy, wow. Corey Connors, who's been striking it really well. Speaking of modeling, if you're doing any modeling, whether it's 24 rounds, 36, 50 rounds, maybe even further back, Corey Connors is going to be up there, especially the last 50, 36 rounds. He's going to be probably one or two in your model if you're doing your metrics right. Uh, Louis Ustazen, who's solid, should be solid for this course. Terrell Hatton's a, a WD, unfortunately. And then we have Abraham Answer, Sung J.M., Joaquin Neiman, and Russell Henley. I'll tell you before I even get to you, Joel, the guys that I'm really focused on are – Corey Connors, but frankly, I don't think I like him, believe it or not, as much as I like Russell Henley, if we're talking about talent and upside versus price. But I do like both of those guys a a ton. I mean, obviously, Corey Connors is going to be really popular. It looks like Russell Henley is going to be really popular, but let's just table that for a second. Do you like those two guys, and what other guys do you like in this 9K range? So here's the thing. I think all the nuances of DFS aside, there is a ton to like about Conor Connors. Uh, the way he's striking the ball right now, he, he's playing. He's playing a little bit. You know, he's playing better than the normal Conor Connors you're used to, and, and the price up is appropriate. The issue is the ownership, right? I think you're, you're going to have to eat a lot of chalk here. Now that doesn't. That's not meaning let's just fade him, right? If there's a reason he's chalky. He's playing great. Like I want to play him for sure this week. But I don't want to go overboard because because of the the amount I think he's going to be owned. I think it's going to, probably going to be the highest owned golfer, if not the top three, which is going to make things difficult. So, um, like I said, lots to like about him, but just the ownership is going to in, in GPPs. Now, if you're playing small tournaments or cash, like fire away. I think it, it makes a lot of sense to to go with Connors there. Um, I think Scheffler. I, listen, everyone knows I really like Scheffler. I play him a lot. He, I think he's in really good form. Uh, you know, he has his tie for 18th at the Masters. He's never played here before, but, you know, Scotty Scheffler is just, he. I think he's in this, especially in this field, he's in that elite range. He can, he's at pretty much as good as anyone else that we'll see. Um, Louis, you know, I like Louis. I do think he's a little overpriced here for this tournament. And uh, there's the, nothing, I, I, it's not, nothing about the numbers are telling me not to play him other than I got to pay 9500 And at this price, I think there's just other guys I slightly prefer. Uh, them if I'm going to pay up, uh, but if you if there's something telling you that you really like Louis this week, I have nothing. I have no problem with that at all. I, I to be honest, I really like Tatton, but obviously the withdrawal um, that's not going to be in yeah. play. And and then lastly, I think um, you know I'm I'm really right now I'm on a Sung Jay kick. I think Sung Jay is going to have to prove me. You know he's going to have to do something to prove me wrong. I'm not going to count last week. He played with a partner like right. Weird. I'm not going to count that. Before that, you know, his recent results, he missed the cut at the Masters, which is a little strange. But other than that, you know, 13, 8, 17, 21. His last playing here, he was tied for fourth. Um, I think Sanjay is playing really well. His approach game is not in the best shape uh, you know, we're accustomed to seeing from him. But he's still managing to put up these great finishes uh, even without it, right? So I don't think he's com- I don't think he's completely lost. I think he's going to find it. And when that all clicks, he's going to win a tournament. 
Yeah, I mean, I I hate the fact that you like Sungjae because I think Sungjae is a smart play, and I never take Sungjae. And because I and and I I'm not trying to be stubborn about it, but it's the problem for me is. I like so many other guys in this range that I just don't think I'm going to get to Sanjay. But I, I got to admit, I do think he's a good play. And I do think that approach game is actually coming around because it was a little worrisome. I, I don't know exactly what happened. I mean, he, he got that house. Um, what was it in like Florida? And um, all of a sudden he was like a normal golfer instead of like an elite golfer. I don't yeah. know if he just like got comfortable or something. But he, it looks like um, he's he's probably back. And, you know, because there's so many guys that are popular in this range, He's not going to be probably as popular as he should be. So you're getting, I mean, you're not getting a break per se, but he's definitely not going to be one of the higher owned guys in the, in the nine K range. So there's something to be said for that. As far as Henley goes, I mean, his, first of all, uh, in my model, he's, he's fourth for one. I mean, he's really good on approach. The proximity ranges that, that I said that I thought were important, you know, he's not necessarily shooting the lights out between 175 and 200 plus, but he's good. So the thing is, for a guy like him who's who's got really the complete game, he's good around the green, um, he's good with the putter. I'm, I'm verifying the, the the putter statement right now. I mean, he's he's okay with the putter. But the point is, is like you're not going to find a guy that's like good across all 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 metrics and all spectrums. But he doesn't have sort of a disaster metric of all the metrics that I've factored in, whether it's the proximity ranges or around the green or par four efficiency um, approach off the tee fairways gained, you name it. Like he's not a disaster in any of those categories and he's elite in some of them. And so that's like kind of the guy I'm looking for, because again, I'm looking for, you know, the all around game more than anything else. So uh, I I like Russell Henley quite a bit. um, And I think 9,000 is, is a, is a price. And I'll tell you when we get to the outrights, I've already put a bet on him at 33 to one. And I think that's a, a pretty fair price, especially now that Hatton's out. You know, I got that number before Hatton left. So it's probably 30 to one now, but uh, I, I do like Hatton. So uh, any other comments before we get to the 8K range? No, I just, I didn't get down to Henley. I like Henley. Nothing wrong with Henley. Um, I, I will be playing him this week as well. I do think, you know, a little bit, I think he's a little overpriced here. I, I would have liked him a lot more at maybe 8,500. Uh, but yeah, I'll double have him in my player plot. I like that. Well. And the one, th- the one thing I will add about Louie is, you know, I, sometimes I don't know how he gets it done because, you know, his numbers don't necessarily jump off the page and he, he gains a lot with the putter. He's, he's been pretty hot with the putter, but forget about recent history. I mean, his course history here. So we're going back to 2019 second, 2018, 16th. He didn't play in 2017 in 2016. He was seventh. And then a missed cut in 2015. So, I mean, you're talking this last three tournaments here. He's been 16th or better with a, you know, a very close call in 2019 with with a near outright win. So, um, obviously, you know, there's some, you know, I know you like course history quite a bit. And so I think that's something maybe we should be factoring in. The only other worry I have with Luis, that, I mean, I think this is maybe a ridiculous thing to say, but that shot in the playoffs, you know, off the tee which not only ruined his tournament, but ruined Charles Schwartzel's tournament because Charles trying to get his tour card for the next two years. And I just wonder if there's going to be any lingering effects of that. I don't think there will be because Louis is like a, a professional and he's he's a veteran, but a, any thoughts there? No, I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to say at all. I, I'm not saying that will definitely be a lingering effect, but that's definitely a thing to think about. I mean, we've seen people, you miss a big shot, like you get into a little bit of a cold streak because of it. You know, you're in your head a little bit. That's definitely something uh, but you, you do make a good point. I mean, his history, and he, one thing I like to do, I'm looking at when you look at, when prepare for the week, you look at history and recent results side by side. And if they both look good, like the guy's played here in the past and he's playing well now, that's telling you something. And, you know, Louis does have a good c- current form and a good history at this course. So those things do line up for him. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm kind of glad you said that because I'm looking at my model right now and I'm it, like, I, I actually printed it out so that I didn't have to scan the computer and he's 27th on it, okay? And 27th for a guy this price, you know, you think to yourself, well, that's not great for a guy that's 9,500. You know, you'd want your 9,500 guy to be like, you know, 12th, 13th at worst, you know, something like that. Um, but here's the thing. I feel like sometimes people get caught up in the models too much and, and the, the sheer numbers and like they're not factoring in what you just talked about. So I, I like to do models. I think it's interesting. I think it's a good way to set the stage and make sure you're not missing anything. But if you're just stuck to your model, I think you're going to have a lot of blind spots. And I, I know it's counterintuitive, right? Because people are building their models and they're factoring in all the metrics. So they're like, oh, good. There are no blind spots here. I've got everything factored into this little model, this handy model I built. But like, 
sometimes the eye test and like the obvious, like recent history and course history, I understand you can factor some of that into the models depending on what you know database you're using. But like, the, you got to look at that. You got to like just literally use your eyes sometimes and be like, oh, okay, he's 27th in my model, but this recent form and course history is kind of speaking to me. Like I can go ahead and just, I don't want to ignore the 27th. I want to look at the metrics, but you know, this is probably a guy that should be closer to like 15th, 14th, 13th, 12th, if we're factoring in those two, like very obvious factors. And not only that, I mean, I think what solidifies your take on that is also his DraftKings price, right? There's experts at DraftKings that make these pricings, they get these guys where they are. If he's priced at 9,500, that's not a guess by them. Somebody else saw something. <laughs> I put him up there, right? So right. there's a reason for that. So yeah, he's he's probably pretty good. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, okay, so 8K range, uh, plenty of guys I like. I mean, this range is is loaded. Uh, I, maybe I even like this more than the 9K range. There's going to be plenty of chalk in this range. You kind of know it when you see it. Okay, so let's start with Bubba. He's not going to be chalky, but Bubba's at 8,900. Justin Rose, Jason Kokrak, Charlie Hoffman, Ryan Palmer, Cameron Chingale, Emiliano Grillo, Chris Kirk, Max Homa, Kevin Na, and Taylor Gooch. I like a lot of guys here. I'll, I'll just go, I'll go through the ones I like real quick. I think Justin Rose, who's a guy I have not been on. I mean, Sticks Picks, Nick Brettwish was on him a few weeks back and and he was, a, I mean, a genius. He had at the Masters, he had Hideki and Justin Rose as, as two of his like main plays. Hideki won it and Justin Rose was in it until basically Sunday afternoon. So I'm finally kind of jumping on board and I think I'm in a spot where I'm still a little early on Justin Rose because people aren't really convinced. But if you look at his last two tournaments, he's done really well. And then if you look at three tournaments ago, it doesn't look like he did well because it looks like a missed cut or or like a WD. But what happened was he was doing really well. And apparently, you know, he, he had a couple shots in the water and had a back injury. So he ended up, you know, withdrawing on a Saturday afternoon. But prior to that, actual hole he was doing really well so now we have a three tournament in a row sample size where justin rose has been really good and now he's on a course where he's going to be a good course fit he's got the requisite experience and game to manage the course and have the complete game so i only i only emphasize and almost like boldface justin rose because me personally i'm never on the guy and if i'm convinced that maybe he's a good play and that maybe you should be a little early on justin rose then I think sort of like everybody else should be convinced too, because I am not a Justin Rose guy. But before I get your comments on that, a couple other guys I like. Jason Kokrak, I do like him. I don't love him. And, and because of his popularity, I'm kind of like, ah, I might roster him, I might not. But he's been very good, been very good in Florida and on this course. Charlie Hoffman, I mean, what a great price for Charlie Hoffman. 8600 for a guy that's striking the ball as well as he has. Uh, I have no issue there. Ryan Palmer, president of the fan club. So no issue there. I love Cameron Tringali, although his course history here is kind of pathetic. Three missed cuts over his last three times here. But it's weird. It's an interesting dichotomy because, again, the metrics tell a different story. So are we? Are, what's going on here? I kind of want your opinion there. I like Grio. I like Chris Kirk. Um, I would probably take a flyer on Homa. So I know I just kind of said the whole range. But if I had to rate this range, I think I would probably go Charlie Hoffman. Justin Rose, Ryan Palmer, Cameron Tringali, and then Grio and Kirk tied for like that last spot in terms of guys. And I know that's a lot of people, but who do you like in this range? I think uh, I think I like your breakdown. I'll start at the top of the range from my end. My, I, I, I like a lot of things you said about Rose. I don't dislike Rose. I'm not going to be heavily on him. Going back to, I think he's I would have liked him at 8,000, maybe 8,200. Mm-hmm. At close to 9K, I think there's just other guys I'd rather I'd rather get to. And that's my same take on Bubba Watson. I just think he's a little overpriced here for me. Um, Cockrack, Cockrack, I like a lot. I, I'm, I'm on him a lot. You know, he is one of my guys. Um, his course history here is, is really strong. His current form is, I mean, the Masters, you know, 49th, a little disappointing. But before that, three top tens in a row. And a lot of, you know, his par five scoring is one of the best on tour right now, you know, based on you know, how I broke down my model, you know, he scored really well. So my, the only thing uh, giving me pause on Cockrack is, is the ownership, which is going to be high, very high. Yep. So yep. we're going to have to kind of swallow some of that, that eat some of that ownership with him. Uh, I think Hoffman looks like he's coming in a little bit less. And I think all the things you said about him are spot on. I mean, the way he's striking it, his current form is as good as anybody's. Uh, and he has a mixed bag of a history here where he's got a few top 20s and he's got a bunch of missed cuts. But mm-hmm. I think we're getting the guy that's in good form that's probably in the 20s range more so than the missed cuts. And this is the price I want to see, right? So, like, 
you know, I, I probably favor Hoffman to Rose by a bit and at the salary savings, you know, that's where, you know, it makes more sense for me to, to roster. Um, Ryan Palmer, I'm with you. Like, we're both in his fan club. I mean, he's, he's been awesome. I like that his, his ownership looks a little bit more tame in this price range. And this should fit well for him. And his proximity, 200 yards plus, is really strong. Uh, he's never done great here. So that could be something, you know, if you don't like that, you know, he's never – the best result I've seen, I'm seeing right now is tied for 28th, which was the last time he's played. But let's not forget, I think Ryan Palmer's in his prime. Even though he's not, mm-hmm. you know, a young guy, I think he's playing the best golf right now than he's played in previous past. So from that standpoint, we can probably throw a lot of history out. And it's a similar take with Trangale in that – Tringale, I think, is playing better golf now than he's previously played. Right? He's 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 been really strong. The last three um, times he's went out here, he's missed the cut. Now we're gonna go all the way back to 2015 and 2014. He does have two top 25s here, so he's capable of doing well in this course. He's done it. It was a long time ago, uh, but if you want to, the same notion that we're talking about with Palmer, if you want to buy into, he's playing better now than he has been in recently. You know, he's capable of playing well here. Then it, that that play could certainly make sense. Um, and then, you know, I'll scroll down. The, the last two in this range that I, that I want to just touch on are Kirk and Homa. I think they're both just playing above their natural level, right? I think they're both in, in good form. Homa's missed the last two cuts, but before that, he's got a 10th, 22nd, first. So I don't think it's bad for me. The last two weren't there. He's also never made the cut at this tournament, so that is something. But a lot of the metrics that I liked to prioritize for this course, he's actually grading out really well on. So this could be a really good course fit for him. And Chris Kirk is just, you know, he's in a form right now that at 8,200, it seems like a bargain, right? I mean, he's playing mm-hmm. great golf, tied for top two top tens in his last two, tied for 25th. I can't even tell you the last time he's missed a cut. Uh, I just think we're getting a guy who's who's coming into form and, and is a great value right now. Yeah, Kirk is in extreme value, and, and that's why he's going to be really popular too. He's he, he's probably going to be right up there with like your Jason Kokrak, uh, Corey Connors ownership, at least in the ballpark of those two guys. You know what's really interesting, though? You brought up – I think you were talking about Cameron Tringali and how he's playing the best golf of his career, so you can kind of throw out you know, his, his history at this course. It's funny, though, because in this range, you have Charlie Hoffman at 8,600, Ryan Palmer at 8,500, and Cameron Tringali at 8,400. They're literally back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And then you have Griot, by the way, and then Chris Kirk. So four out of those five guys – I mean, Griot doesn't have much history here, so we can just get him out of there. But it's basically four guys in a row from a pricing standpoint that have pretty bad histories here. However, you can say, just like you just said, you can say that Charlie Hoffman, Ryan Palmer, Cameron Tringali, and Chris Kirk definitively, and I don't think this is really a question, definitively are playing the best golf of their career right now, this year, 2021, maybe tail end of 2020. So it's an interesting question. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because I think you're right. I think, I mean, it does bother me that a guy like Cameron Tringali, who it's not like he was a complete dud, you know, over, you know, over the last four years or so. So the fact that they're all missed cuts for him gives me some pause. Whereas like with Ryan Palmer and Charlie Hoffman, at least they have some good finishes peppered into the missed cuts. But your point is really well taken, you know, add Ryan Palmer, Chris Kirk to that mix too. Like, these guys are playing elite golf for them and they've never played golf like this before. So I don't want to throw away the course history, but I do kind of want to take it with a grain of salt, especially for those guys who have actually made some cuts along the way at this course. Again, Tringali is the one that concerns me because I don't, you know, over the last three times he's missed all the cuts, but I, I know he's made a cut here before, just not recently. And you know what though? DraftKings agrees with that, right? Like these aren't guys in a normal week, these are guys that are probably in the 7K range, right? So mm-hmm. there's a little bit, too, that it's maybe a little bit of a weaker field, and that could be – and that's fair if that's the, the stand that you want to take. But the other part of it is they're playing, they're just playing good golf, and I think DraftKings sees it, and, and that's why they're pricing them here. So I think those are the types of trends that, that kind of help me pick guys as well because, you know, if, if it's, it tells me that I'm not the only one seeing that, right? And so right. the reason why these guys are, are getting value this way. And by the way, because of that history, I mean, everybody looks at that history. So, you know, we'll see what Steven's numbers are with respect to ownership, because the numbers I'm looking at, I think, are a little questionable. that They're not from Windaily. Um, for everybody that's listening, WindailySports.com, we release like very extremely back-tested and, you know, post-tournament-tested uh, ownership stats on Wednesday night. We have an article that's posted with all the stats. So I'm curious to see those. But, you know, I'm seeing Charlie Hoffman, Ryan Palmer, Cameron Tringale, 
those three in particular are all well under 15%, well under 15%. If that's the case, I really think you're getting an ownership break there. And I think the reason you're getting that ownership break is because people are looking at the course history and they're getting a little scared off in spite of the ball striking with, with those three. And I got to say, of those three, I think I, from a cash game standpoint, I think Charlie Hoffman's my favorite of, of the Hoffman-Palmer-Tringale group. I think Hoffman's my favorite. But if we add Chris Kirk into that, I think Chris Kirk probably presents the best value. Just that's just my thought there. Um, 7K range, it's huge, Joel. So I'm just going to go down. I'm not going to read all these names off, but I'm going to go down from 7,900 to 7,500. And I'm just going to tell you guys that I like, and then you can just tell me guys you like. Listen, I'm on Team Keegan. I've been on Team Keegan. I understand he's also Team No Putt. It's just one of those things like I'm not going to be heavily invested this tournament, but I think he's a great play. He's a great ball striker. It's just the putter that's going to get in his way. So, you know, take that chance if, if you want. But at 7,900, I do think Keegan Bradley's a bargain. And stay tuned for the first round leader plays because he's probably going to make an appearance there. Um, the top of this 7K range, I, I don't love. I'm skipping right by Burns, Woodland, Streelman, and Kisner. I mean, Streelman gives me some interest, but Lucas Glover, I really like. Um, he's just been playing really well. I think we have a guy on the rise. Uh, the strokes gain metrics measure out. So I think Glover's a, a pretty smart play. As we go down towards 7,500, there's really not any. I mean, Adam Hadwin is interesting to me. Um, I think Adam Hadwin, even though it's been spotty, I think he is sort of on the comeback. I think he's sort of on the rise, even though it's it's hard to see. And he's won on this course before. So I, I think Hadwin is an interesting play. Other than that, Denny McCarthy is the only other guy I like. I, I think Denny is a really smart play. He's obviously really hot with the putter, but the approach game is actually coming back to form. In the middle of last year, Denny McCarthy really was killing it with the approach. And then it just went away and he started missing cut after cut after cut. Well, now the putter is still there. But now the approach game is coming back, and he's been good enough off the tee and around the green. So I think you're getting you're getting Denny McCarthy a little bit early, and I think this is a really fair price for Denny McCarthy as well. So I'll stop there at 7,500. Um, any thoughts? No, I think I think in this range, I think we have a lot of overlap. I, I'm I'm feeling similarly with a lot of the guys. Keegan's probably my favorite play in in that bucket of ranges. Um, you know, if you want to look at his irons and everything like that, things that we're we're scoring for this course, he grades out the best. Uh, I do like Sam Burns and Gary Woodland a little bit. Um, not guys I'm in love with. I'm, I'm, I'm probably will play them. I have a little, a, a small amount of shares. We know Sam Burns tends to do well in the Florida swing. It's not technically the Florida swing, but it's in Florida. So, um, and you know, he, his recent form, you know, has been I think a little bit better than he's getting credit for. It's I mean, it's not great, but he can play. So I, I like Burns there. I actually like Woodland too. I, Woodland, you know. Grades out pretty well in the proximity numbers for this course that, that I was looking at. Um, you know, he does have a tie for sixth at the Valero. He was tied for 40th at the Masters. He, he may be kind of finding some form here. So if he's on the rise, I think he could be interesting. But other than that, I'm not going to be too heavy in this in this range here. Uh, but I will say I'm also with you on Denny McCarthy. He, Denny McCarthy is one of those guys that gets hot, right? So he, he finds something and – you know, he strings it together for a couple of weeks or a month. And I'm feeling – it's starting to feel like he's he's in that upswing, right, where um, he's hitting that heater and he's playing really good golf. And then it, he'll, he'll fall off for a little bit. So you want to catch him while he's playing really well, and it feels like right now is that time. Yeah, that's interesting. And by the way, you know, as I look at Sam Burns, I, I'm getting a little bit more interested. You know, Joel, you and I were on Sam Burns at the beginning of the year. He started to get hot, and he really started to pay off for us. But then, you know, he got cold. Like, that, that's golf, right? Like, nobody's – I mean, DJ gets hot and cold. So we can't really complain about a guy that's, you know, characteristically or, or typically in the 7K, 8K range getting a cold spot, like a Denny McCarthy, for example. But, you know, Sam Burns – okay, so in 2019, he finished 30th here. Pretty good for a young golfer. In 2018, 12th. Okay, so he's comfortable here. We know he is comfortable in Florida. Um, and then, you know, Zurich, he played well last week. At the RBC, made the cut, finished 39th. I mean, we might be getting him back on the rise. And I, you know, again, that's how you win DFS tournaments, right? You get Denny McCarthy a touch early. You don't have to be super, super early, but earlier than most, then you, you're, it's going to pay off. So you get Sam Burns a touch early because, you know, I, you know, I'm looking at Sam Burns' ownership. Like, he will be owned, but it's not like that 15 20% range. So I think it's a really interesting play. Like, I, I didn't even look at Sam Burns. And, you know, as I look at my model, 
you know, predictably, he didn't really grade out very well. But again, the model doesn't tell you everything because we know Sam Burns has done it before. And we know the course history is actually way better than I expected it to be. So those things are not factored into the pure numbers that I'm looking at. So I think that's interesting. So, okay. And, and that works the other way too, Sia, in that I've had plenty of times where, um, you know, my model will spit out somebody really high and I'll look at them like, no, nah, I'm not playing heavy on, you know, whoever it is, right? Maybe Kevin Stroman's grading out and he's not, but Kevin Stroman's grading out as your ninth player, but I don't, I'm not going to play. I don't like him that much for this course. So the models help me in just kind of reassuring that what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking are right. But if something doesn't seem right in your model or whatever, then that doesn't mean you have to stick to it. Right, right. Um, interesting comment here, kind of jumping the gun a little bit. But uh, Z Chronic Nebula, Kyle Stanley on pure, pure Bermuda. I don't. I'm I'm hoping that this guy is a fan of the First Cut podcast and watched us yesterday with Rick Gaiman and, and Greg Ducharme. I'm on that show Monday, five thirty. By the way, we we go live. We talked about Kyle Stanley a lot on that show. So we'll get to him. Um, I have an outright on him that I found at a book that is like an, an insane number that no other book has. So I'm kind of proud of that, but I'm sure I'm probably not cashing that ticket. But um, Z Chronic Nebula, we'll, we'll get to Kyle Stanley in a second. It's one of the few guys I actually like in the 6K range. But let's finish out the 7K range, Joel. So I'm looking at these names. Nobody's really impressing me until I get to Lanto Griffin. I'm not going to say Lanto's impressing me, but on on Andy Lack's podcast yesterday, uh, he kind of convinced me that that maybe Lanto is kind of this under-the-radar guy that, that might be a little mispriced. So I, I do want to get your comments there. I, I did look at him on my model, and he actually was in the top 30, which is, which is pretty good considering this price range. His around-the-green game is terrible, but other than that, he's been pretty good. Now, I emphasized at the front end of the show that ARG is going to be a little bit more important. Does that mean it's determinative in terms of like whether I pick a guy if he's bad around the green? Not really, but I do factor it in. So that that, that is a bit of a concern, but he grades out kind of really well everywhere else. Um, Doug Gim is here at 7,300. I don't think I'm going to do that. His short game and his putting have been like pretty bad. Ball striking is great. I don't mind the Doug Gim play, but it's just probably not going to be for me. Peter Uline is here. He had a good week last week. He won the Corn Ferry Tour event two weeks ago. I think he's interesting. Um, Kazire, if, if you like him, you might be able to convince me. Um, I got to look at his numbers again, but he has been striking the ball pretty well lately. Other than that, the only other guy I like in the 7K range that I've already played in some lineups that I've made is Roy Sabatini. Numbers aren't going to jump off the page, but his course history is really good here, and he's a, a great course fit. The only other guy I'm going to mention is two guys, really. Um, one, they're both good ball strikers, one probably more than the other, but John, John Hunt and Tom Hogue I also like. So that kind of rounds out um, the end of the 7K range. Any of those guys you like or any other guys that, that I missed that you love? Well, the good news is um, well, there's a lot of overlap in this range with us, so that's, that's good. I mean, we're, we're seeing the same things. There's a lot to like about Lanto. I'm with you there. He grades out actually on my model really well. He actually came in at 10th. Uh, so, you know, I obviously take that with a grain of salt. The good and the bad of Lanto is I think for a cash play, he's probably my favorite cash play. He's pretty safe. He's, I think he's going to make the cut and do well. He doesn't have, like, the best upside, right? He doesn't have a lot of top tens. So, um, you know, at this price, he doesn't necessarily need to be top ten. So I like playing him a lot. You know, I don't, I'm not playing him as the biggest upside play, but definitely someone I'm expecting to make the cut and, and probably do you know, top 30, and at least in that range this week. Um, I think there's a lot to like about Doug Gim as well. Uh, Doug Gim, you know, his approach play, his proximity plays is going to grade out really strongly. And, and see, I said it right. I mean, he's around the green game and his putting is is pretty bad. So, you know, you just got to hope you can catch him on a week where he sinks a few putts. The week where he does finally sink a few putts, he could win a tournament. He's one of those volatile guys, right? He can miss the cut and he can be a top 10. Like, he's that volatile. So, you probably don't want to be overexposed to him because if he misses the cut, then your week's going to be pretty bad. But definitely, I think a, a, a few shares for sure is worth because of his high ceiling. Um, and and I'll also, I think the one set that stood out last week that had me playing him, and, and I think it even makes more sense in an individual event here, Peter Uline has been killing the – I mean, listen, it's the Corn Ferry Tour. That doesn't – you know, it's not the same talent. But if you're winning tournaments and, you know, it does, there's a few other things that factor than just beating a little bit lower competition, right? He's he's not choking under pressure or right? holding a lead and maintaining it and guys trying to chase you. Like 
those types of things he's he's not he's withholding. He's standing up on. So he's definitely playing well. I mean, you still have to be playing good golf to win those tournaments. Um, so if you want to look at a guy that's probably still pretty under the radar, I mean, I don't think he's going to be too highly owned, uh, and he has pretty good upside. Then I think this is definitely a good GPP play for sure. Um, back to I'm with you again on Patton Kazire. He actually graded out really well in my model. He's one of those guys that has got really good iron play. You know, his course history is not great. I won't be overexposed to him, but we're looking for guys down this low. He's probably going to be one of the guys that I look to for salary purposes. Um, if you want to play Zach Johnson, I have no issue with it. I don't love him. I definitely wouldn't be overweight on him. But, again, at $7,200, you know, that, that's someone I can see um, helping you out. And then I do – I want to close out this range. I'm, I'm going to go all the way down to the bottom. Um, I think Tom Hogue has been striking the ball so well. I, it's almost like a different golfer. Even at the team event last week, I just he looked like he was he's, – he's playing really well recently. His last two outings, 12th and 25th, he's never made the cut here, but I'm going back to he's playing better golf now than he's typically played. And uh, I actually like him a lot as my kind of 7K salary saver this week. Um, I can't wait because in like five minutes or less, we're going to get to our first round leaders and uh, Hogue makes an appearance. Maybe. <laughs> um, so this is a this is a fun comment from Z Chronic. So uh, I was referencing the first cut. Now, Joel, I don't know if you get this re- reference in the parentheses, but that is definitely a first cut viewer. So uh, thanks. Mm-hmm. First of all, thank you for watching this show, uh, Z Chronic. I, I don't know uh, who you are specifically. Hopefully you're also in our Win Daily Discord so I can say hi to you there. But um, thanks for also watching the first cut. I, I quite enjoy that show. Not quite as much as you know me and Joel and me, Joel and Sticks, but it's a great show and I, pre- I appreciate anybody watching either of the shows, frankly. So um, great reference there, by the way. Uh, 6K range, Joel. So there are guys that that I quite like here, but there's not many of them. So let me start with Ryan Moore. I think Ryan Moore, first of all, he grades out well in my model. And when I say grades out well, we're talking about the 6K range. So he's not like top 20, but he's in he's in that low 30-ish range, along with another guy, Kyle Stanley. So I think both so I think both of these guys are kind of in, in a little bit different position. So when I look at Stanley's stats, I mean honestly. He's really bad with the putter. So let's just get that out of the way. He's really bad with the putter and he's going to need to be instead of awful with the putter, he's going to need to be slightly below average because if he's slightly below average with the putter relative to the field, he's kind of killing this range when it comes to whether it's off the tee or approach or those proximities I talked about. I mean, he rates out last 36 rounds, seventh in proximity, 175 to 200, 40th in 200 plus. And 36th, 150 to 175. So this guy is like typically hitting hitting greens. Now, these greens are going to be kind of hard to hit. But, I mean, you're not going to see ball striking metrics like in, in these proximities as good as this with m- many people in this entire tournament, let alone this range. So I, I understand the putter is like a huge weak spot. And, the, and I've, I've played Kyle Stanley in DFS before. And I've, I've, got, I've gotten lineups ruined because the putter just lets him down. But the putter is just one of those things I'm willing to gamble on. You know, sometimes it works out when you got your Keegan Bradleys or your Emiliano Grios, and sometimes it doesn't. And so I'm willing in the 6,800 range to take a guy that clearly is measuring out really well everywhere else. As far as Ryan Moore, he measures out pretty well. Obviously, he's 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 grading out pretty good in my model. But first of all, Ryan Moore is a guy I think I might have mentioned a few weeks ago, and I was like, I think we're we're on the comeback for Ryan Moore. The Ryan Moore, maybe we saw three years ago. I think he might be starting to come back. Whatever tournament that was, he wasn't that good. I don't think he missed the cut, but you know, I'm not looking at his numbers at the moment, but he was just kind of average, or I should say below average. But I do think Ryan Moore is starting to put his game back together, and I do think he's a really good course fit here. So Moore has my attention. Kyle Stanley has my attention. I'll just name the other guys that I I just kind of want to mention. I don't know how much I'm going to play them. James Hahn, former secret weapon, um, we know he's contended this year, it, you know, but he just hasn't really been that good. He hasn't been that consistent. But when his ball striking is there, he's good. And this is this is a good course fit for him. Uh, obviously not a long hitter. Uh, Chase Seifert is, is going to be somewhat of a popular guy in this range for, for decent reason. I think he's a good play. Roger Sloan, same story. Um, I think, you know, if we're going really down the board here, I think Cameron Percy, if you're going to pick him for a tournament, this might be the tournament to pick him at 6,500. He's he's definitely a good course fit. And he's one of those guys. He's I called him, I think it was on the first cut yesterday, I called him a poor man's Michael Thompson, 
which isn't really saying much, right? But Michael Thompson is just one of those kind of like boring ball strikers that kind of just gets it done. You know, he just gets it in the fairway. He gets it on the green. He has a, he has a decent shot at, you know, an eight or 12 or 14 foot putt and he makes some and he misses some. I feel like Cameron Percy is sort of like the lesser version of that. And I think when you're talking about fitting, jamming in a guy at 6,500, that doesn't bother me as far as like they super, like they, could be, they could be related. Like they have, they could be like cousins or some sort of they have a similar demeanor to them. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, sometimes boring works, especially on these courses where this isn't a short course per se, but it's, it's not a course that's going to require you to be super long off the team where you're going to like gain a ton of strokes there. It's just not the case. So um, if you want to go like super long shot, I mean, Ryan uh, Armour, as you like to say, or Ryan Armour, he's 6,500. He hasn't been good lately, but in 2019, he was sixth here. In 2018, he was 40th. So he's you know clearly comfortable on this course for a guy that's in this range. And then I'll just mention Jason Duffner, a guy that's usually pretty good on approach. Uh, Wesley Bryan, he has that reputation. It really hasn't come through that much over the last couple of years. But I mean, this is probably a guy that's like competing for a tour card and relevance, you know, over the next year or so. And so uh, given that he's done it before, I think at 6,400, if you're playing 150 max, you know, maybe you throw in a few lineups with Wes Bryan in him. Yeah, no, I, I totally love that. For the most part, um, you know, I don't want to, we don't want to be too heavy in this range. Like we right. want makers, we don't want to, you know, ruin our weekend, but there are some guys that, that I think could be interesting. I think Ryan Moore, I'm with you. I think he's one of the first guys that popped out to me. If he is making that turn, right, if that's something you're believing and you're starting to see some of that form again, uh, you know, while the last two times he's played here, he missed the cut. Prior to that, he had a tie for 18th, a third, and a fifth. So there is something about this course that he does like. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's in that form, then this then this then could that could be a really smart play. So I do like him there. Um, I, and I'm with you on your Kyle Stanley take as well. Um, this is a guy that probably has a more talent than most of the guys in this range. So – you know, he's not consistent, but if he does find it, if he finds that lightning in a bottle this week, if he makes a few putts, um, then, yeah, he can do really well. So he's definitely someone, if we're going to be targeting down the sixth head, that I'd like. Uh, and more interesting one that, that that you didn't mention that I actually like a lot this week is Adam Shank. I think we've seen a lot of good things from Adam Shank recently. I mean, he had the tie for 25th at the Heritage. I actually thought he looked good last week at the team event. Um, not much of a history here, but and a guy that's going to be basically unowned and, you know, at, at this price – I think he's someone that that I just like the way he's been playing, and I think he's someone that, that can definitely compete. Um, now, one of my more volatile plays, right? He's this guy could easily miss the cut, but I think he can really compete. And he's been playing really well. He's one of he's one of my favorite players, Sam Ryder. Uh, so Sam Ryder, you know, he, while he missed the cut at the Valero, uh, Sam Ryder was second at Punta Cana, not a great field. He was eighth at the Honda. His ball striking in during those tournaments was. Elite. I mean, he was really hitting the ball really well. Um, I think he looked good last week. He grades out based on the statistics we need for this week. Never done anything at this tournament, but if you're subscribing to, he's in just he's dialed in right now on his irons, and he's going to play really well. Um, he's a guy that could surprise. You're not going to have to worry about too high of an ownership, uh, and I think you you might be able to get an above average rider, above average um, iron player. The the main issue with Ryder is that he's not the he's not he's definitely not that polished. So you're really going to need to bank on him uh, playing a little bit above his head around the green and putting to, to really pay off. But he could do that. I mean, he could play. He could play the top iron players, you know, in the week if he if he's really dialed in. Yeah, it's interesting about Ryder because um, you're not going to find a guy in this range, in the 6K range in general. Really, you're not going to find this in any tournament, I don't think, where three of his last four tournaments were a 17th, a missed cut, a second, and an eighth. And yeah. those aren't all like like cupcake tournaments. I mean, the Honda like was a pretty legit tournament, and Corrales had some legit guys in it too. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the one caveat there is, is Zurich was obviously the seventeenth place was was obviously a team event, but still, you're just not going to find that in this range. And I think you're right; he's not a polished guy. But if the ball striking is there, I mean, clearly the upside is there. So you're 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 always taking a chance in the six K range. It's just a matter of like. Yeah. you either want to dip down to this range or you don't. If you want to dip down to this range, then those guys with the upside, like like your Sam Ryder or maybe a Kyle Stanley, Ryan Moore, um, you, you may as well take your shot on them. Or even a, a Chase Seifert, Roger Sloan. I mean, I, between those two guys, maybe Seifert has has more of the upside, but 
yeah, you, you got to take some chances if you're going to dip into this range. And, and the Adam Shank play, I get it. I'll tell you, one other guy I looked at in this range was Tom Lewis. When I took a second look at him, I didn't really like what I saw, but he he is making cuts and he's he's been good. I mean, it looks like he's made five cuts in a row. He was he did well last week. Twenty fifth at the RBC is nothing to you know sneeze at. Um, with that said, when I looked at the proximities and in the ranges that that I put into my model, like he just didn't grade out very well there. But any anybody else in the six K range uh, worth mentioning? Yeah, I think Cipher is definitely one. Uh, I think you know he'll probably be one of the more popular guys in the six K range, but. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that's playing well that you can get value on. The last guy I'm going to mention down in the 6K range, uh, it's more of a gut play. It's not like the numbers are really speaking to him, but every week I'm watching, he has a really good round or, or kind of spurt here or there. He just really hasn't put it together a full tournament yet. Is Troy Merritt. I keep hmm. seeing him pop on a day here and a day there. We need him to put four days together, but I, I'm starting to see some good things out of him. Um, he does have a sixth place here. Uh, it was in 2015, a long time ago, but he does, you know, he's capable of, of doing really well in this course. So just someone, maybe someone you want to get different, someone else uh, to keep an eye on. So let's get to the outrights in the first round leaders. But before, like, I, w- I just want to be, I want to make sure you didn't, like, I, I didn't prevent you from saying anybody like a left field play that like maybe we didn't go over that you're like ah oh, you know i really want to mention this guy maybe it'll come up in five minutes but is there anybody whether it's the 6k range or, or the elite range that you're like oh, we probably should have like talked about this guy because i like him that kind of you thing. know it's funny like almost every show that happens i'm like oh i left that person out she said and today i don't think i have one <laughs> i'm like oh we're good <laughs> well let me ask you this then um before we get to the outrights in the first round leaders because i think a couple guys that jumped out to me from just from a name recognition standpoint, one of one of them I always play and I'm not playing this week. I, just quick thoughts. You don't have to like go through the stats. Just just tell me, you know, are, are you are you going to roster them at all? And one is Victor Hovland, who I'm I'm a huge fan of, but I'm not rostering in this week. I, I think it's been a little shaky for him lately. And um, Joaquin Neiman, who I think has a ton of upside. I'm not sure he's the best course fit here, but I think he's a guy that can go out and kind of win any tournament. So uh, I, those are two guys that I don't plan on rostering. Are you? So my the my Hovland take is he's really good. I'm with you on that. I think I'm with you in that. I've seen some things. He looks a little shaky recently. So the reason I'm not going to say completely fade, but I'll probably be pretty small on him just because I think that the other guys in that price range, I just prefer. So he just happens to fall on the bottom of the tier for me. Uh, Neiman, I'm a little bit torn on. I haven't fully made my decision. He will, I won't be heavy on him, but I would probably say similarly a few shares. I, I think his, his form has fallen off a bit, but he's still a guy that at his price has the ability of being, you know, playing pretty elite. So I, w- I would put him probably a little bit heavier than, than I am on Hovland, but not too high. And and for the record, uh, Neiman has played here once, finished 37th in 2019. And, as you might expect, particularly with um, COVID last year, so I, this wasn't played. Uh, Victor Hovland has never played uh, on this tournament, so something to consider. Um, okay, so outrights. Do you have? We're gonna we're gonna do outrights and first round leaders real quick. Do you have any outrights? We're gonna go uh, tournament champion first or first round leader. First? Tournament champion, if you have it. Yeah. So I'm I'm not gonna be playing any of the favorites. Um, I'm gonna just you know maybe I'll have some fun with a couple small outright you know. Long shots. The first one I'm going to go is Tom Hope. Uh, win the tournament, 150 to one is really long. And the way he's striking the ball at 150 to one, I think he, I think something's on the horizon for him. He's been playing really well, and it kind of feels like it's been sneaking under the radar a bit. And you'll also notice one thing that makes me like him even more is that his uh, price to win the tournament is more equal to guys that are priced about a hundred thousand dollars more in salary and drafting. So that tells you something. Right? Interesting. Someone else All is right. seeing that as well. Um, and then the second one I'm going to give you is, is this, the guy we mentioned, Peter Uline, another 150 to one shot who, you know, he's been playing really well. It gets a little bit worse competition, but, um, I like the way he's, his forms in, and, and I think he could be a sneaky guy to, to pull a tournament out. All right. So I've got, I've got five, uh, outright plays and which I, I normally do. I normally give out five, uh, outrights and five first round leaders. So a couple of them are shorter. Um, and then there's a couple long ones. So let's just get this, get it started. Russell Henley's currently 30 to one. I got it at 33 to one. I don't think that's a big difference. I think 30 to one is a good play. I don't think I'd take it at 23 to one, but I think 30 to one is, is good value. Justin Rose at 35 to one. You know, I don't, I don't want to say I'm big on him this week. He's not a guy I would play in a cash game, but 
I will have him in some GPPs. And I do think if this is the Rose that I think we might have, I think his experience and his pedigree is is really going to pay off on this particular course. So I think at 35 to one, I, I don't want to say it's a bargain, but I do think it's a good bet. By the way, he didn't play in 2019, but in 2018, fifth place. And then the last time he played it before that was 2015, where it was a miscut. So clearly he has the upside to, to finish big here. Zurich, he was 11th. Again, team event, Masters, seventh place. Just a reminder to everybody there. So uh, Justin Rose at 35 to one. Cameron Turngalli, he's 45 to one now. I got him at 50 to one. I don't really love that, but because the numbers are just jumping off the page and because I'm a Cameron Trigali fan, I think that's a good enough number to take. But of the five that I'm taking, that's probably the one that's least impressive to me from a value standpoint. The the, the last two are kind of longer shots. Uh, Denny McCarthy at 80 to one. I actually think he has the game to potentially be contending Sunday afternoon. So I'm, I'm totally cool with that number. And Ryan Moore at 125 to one. Um, he's had success on this course before, as Joel just chronicled. He may be on the rise again. And if that's the case, knowing that he's a course fit, knowing that he's had success here, the game is right for him to succeed on this course. So I think 125 to 1, am I expecting it to happen? Of course not. But is it possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. So those are my outrights. So, Joel, any comments there? If not, first-round leaders, you got any? I like that. I like those, those plays. And uh, I'm going to give one first-round leader. Um, for the week, this guy I mentioned already at 125 to one, Sam Ryder. All right, Sam Ryder. I like that. 125 to one. Yep, 125 to one. Wow. Okay, I like that. So I'm looking at seven first round leaders. So I'm obviously going to cross off at least one because that's absurd. So I am officially crossing off Russell Henley. That's not a fun one anyway. It's 40 to one. Like, give me a break, right? Um, I'm going to give six. Okay, so here's here's the setup for giving six instead of five, which technically this is kind of cheating. I, like I should just be giving five. Like six is, well, it's like a 150 plus person event, um, you know, so six is well, you know, that. This is my lucky number. I try to do everything in sixes. So let's stick with six. Oh, let's stick with the six. Well, my point was though, Joel, Joel Shrek at Draftmaster Flex, he cheated on the golf show earlier today. He like straight up went to another show and he was on our NBA show and he did a really good job, which was, I was really disappointed. I was hoping he would totally crash and burn so they'd never invite him again. Because now I feel like Joel's going to be like too leveraged and he's going to be here and he's going to be there. Of course, I'm joking. But if Joel's going to cheat today, then I get to cheat and add a, an additional first round leader. So out of the 150 plus players, I'm going to give you for six first round leaders. I mean, honestly, if you're putting more than like 15, 20 bucks total on these guys, you're probably doing it wrong. This is this is just for fun. So keep keep the amount light, except for my breaking news, which I'm about to break in like literally 45 seconds. That one you want to put like your entire mortgage on. Okay, so let's get it started. Keegan Bradley's 80 to one as a first round leader. I feel like that number's wrong. Like I Keegan, I just that that should be more like 55 to one. Speaking of 55 to one, Charlie Hoffman's 55 to one. Both Keegan and Charlie Hoffman. When they flash, it's usually in the first round. Obviously, both of them have been flashing a lot. But um, Hoffman, just from a historical standpoint, he owns the first rounds. Uh, Emiliano Grillo, another guy that usually can't put four rounds together in terms of like winning a tournament, but winning a first round, he can absolutely do it. That's 50 to 1. Tom Hogue at 90 to 1. So, Joel, I know you like that one. Rory Sabatini at 100 to 1. So that's my fifth one. Okay. Rory Sabatini 100 to 1. Tom Hogue 90 to 1. Emiliano Grillo 50 to 1. Charlie Hoffman 55 to 1. Keegan Bradley 80 to 1. Now, everybody at home, I want to make sure you're sitting down because I'm about to break some serious news that is going to affect your financial future. All right. Buckle up because it's Tuesday night. Joel, can you please verify the time right now? Eastern Standard, please. I don't have a watch on, but yes, I can verify 909. 909 on Joel's watch. It's a skin watch. And 909 Eastern Standard Time on a Tuesday night. I am telling the world right now that your first round leader at the Valspar Championship, Thursday night, you're going to have a first round leader. And the name of that first round leader is going to be none other than, are you ready, Joel? Are you sitting down? Okay, now I'm ready. Sitting down. Denny McCarthy. At 70 to one, listen, I want you to put your entire checking account on it. Yeah. Uh, anything you have in PayPal uh, or Venmo. I think that's what the kids are using these days. I want you to put, but don't, listen, don't mess with your savings account. That's that's like kind of irresponsible. But every other dollar you have, I need you to put it on Denny McCarthy as first round leader because 
70 to one is a great number. And whatever you have in, in that bank account, in the piggy bank, under the mattress, uh, on credit, honestly, you, you might want to get like a line of credit and just put it on Denny McCarthy as your first round leader at the Valspar Championship because it's it, it's not just a lock. It's it's I see the future when it comes to first round leaders, and it's like so obvious to me that Denny is going to be your first round leader. You're welcome, America. Joel, what are your thoughts? I mean, if you're not at least putting like you're mortgaging your parents' home on this, then it's silly, right? Like, why? Well, you know, you not want to be rich. I don't. Well, first of all, I question whether you even like your parents. <laughs> I mean, if you're not willing to put right. uh, like the mortgage on their home on it and pay them back in some way, I mean, they raised you and you're not even going to take that step. Like it doesn't take that much time. You go to a bank, you figure it out. And so what's the worst that happens? He doesn't win and they have nowhere to live. Like, come on, <laughs> you can be rich. Exactly. There's plenty of places they can go. You have a house, right? So yeah. they can live with you. I'm sure there's probably like a spare space in your home or condo or apartment where your parents can I mean, there's air mattresses. I, I, I was at Target the other day. There was an air mattress for like 50 bucks, and it was like a queen. And who so, doesn't have 50 bucks, especially after we hit this bet? So basically, if you don't do this, then your parents, your loved ones are not worth $50. And that's, it's beyond disrespectful. So selfish, really. Selfish. It's, thank you. Okay. I didn't, you know what? I didn't want to go there, but we're there. Yeah. It's selfish. selfish. So put, put all you got on Denny McCarthy, first round leader. There. Cool. You're welcome. Um, Joel, now that we've um, gotten off our soapbox, and I think that was appropriate. I think everything we just said was extremely appropriate uh, and warranted. Um, any closing thoughts on the Valspar Championship? I, I'm excited. I think we were, we were talking about this before the show started. I'm excited to get us back to a little bit of normalcy in golf. Uh, I'm ready for a regular tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm, as you all know me, I'm super excited for some more showdown slate. So, you know, check back in on Discord. We'll put some plays in there for showdown. We'll be playing a lot of that. But for showdown, as you always know, we're going to be picking plays based on how the guys are playing in tournament. But it's all based off of the baseline is, you know, are, who are the guys we like for the week and mm -hmm. how does that fit into how they're playing in the tournament. Totally. I love that. And speaking of Discord, um, the secret weapon, of course, which I think now is 33 and six. I got to double check that number. But that secret weapon um, will be in Discord tomorrow night. And I don't know if anybody noticed or, or cashed on it, but I put it out on Twitter as well. But in Discord, I put in one of my favorite head to head matchups on Sunday and that cashed. Uh, it was Keegan and Steele over Duncan and Shank. So um, I put some of those plays. So for anybody that's listening, um, if you're interested in those plays, uh, just ask me because I, I make those head to head plays literally every day. Um, I do the pre tournament stuff, but where I really make a lot of the money is the in tournament head to head matchup. So I'm happy to give those out. We put them on our sports betting page on windailysports.com too, but I've kind of been giving those out to really anybody, even if you don't have the sports betting package. So come over to windailysports.com, get into our Discord. Have some fun with the family because that's kind of what it feels like. And outside of that, you're going to get a lot of good picks and some sports betting picks that that at least have been cashing lately. So that's good news. And not only that, I know I don't do this often, but the uh, my NBA lineups and based on what we discussed on the show, it's looking really strong right now. So hopefully people are making some money tonight. That is awesome. Awesome. Uh, by the way, there's an NFL draft live stream that we're doing for four hours, actually probably more like four and a half hours. Me, uh, Iggy Rodriguez, uh, we're going to have a lot of guests on, David Meltzer, hopefully some athletes as well. Um, some really good guests lined up, actually. Brandon Steiner, uh, Lawrence Jackson Jr. is going to be on there. Uh, Deep Dive Fantasy, he's going to be on there. So we're going to do a lot of cool football stuff over the next couple of days. So definitely tune in. We're going to have some giveaways too. So definitely tune in. And uh, that's our show, Joel. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Sports. I think what you meant to say was sports. Uh -huh.